the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. We are going through a series regarding a book that was written uh, by me in 2016 called The Blueprint. And the byline underneath it is, is God's Bible design, linear or circular? And the way I've been starting this radio uh, series, I'm asking, is God's Bible design Greek linear or Hebrew circular? Because our first two sessions, we've gone through a lot of the different ways that um, the authors of the Bible, 39 of whom were Jewish, um, were influenced by their culture, by their language, by their um, environment, and, um, and con- contrasted with um, Gentile thought about basic things. And somebody might ask, well, what's, what's the big deal? Why, why is there such a... Um, debate going on as to whether the Bible is viewed through Hebrew lens or whether it's pictured through Gentile lens. And so we're kind of picking apart the uh, major areas to kind of contrast uh, Hebrew Middle Eastern thinking with Western Greek thinking. And it really, uh, are, the contrasts are stark. They're a lot. <laughs> They're numerous. And the reason that's important is because if uh, we have a Bible written by um, authors who are uh, Hebrew, Middle Eastern uh, in, in culture and background, um, we need to understand the context of the Scripture when 39 out of the 40 authors uh, were Jewish. So um, we left off last time with um, this uh, discussion about Plato, uh, who was a Greek philosopher, and how he looked at the world, and um, we brought in the concept also of Gnosticism um, and how that impacted uh, thinking um, of certain, actually, Bible authors, namely Paul, the apostle, um, in the book of Colossians addressed Gnosticism, as did John, the apostle, in the first epistle that he wrote. And so we need to take a a look on um, the philosophy and thinking of what's called P- 
Platonism, which is the philosophy of Plato. And um, he looked at the earth um, as two separate worlds. Uh, The earth belonged to a tangible material world that it differed greatly from the spiritual intangible world. And um, neither the spiritual nor the material was in sync nor compatible one with the other. Uh, The Plato view of things was that the material earthly world was deemed inferior when it was compared or contrasted with the perfect celestial spiritual world. And um, both Platonists and Gnostics, and I want to just... interject here, Gnosticism, to keep it simple, just believed basically the material world uh, was evil um, and the spiritual world was good, okay? That's a very simplistic way of describing it. But uh, the importance is uh, when, you're, when the Gnostics say this material world is evil or bad, it's because of their belief that, um, in essence, a second string level of Greek gods called the Demurge um, created the world. And defective gods can only create defective products. And so that was their connecting the dots origin of why the earth was deemed inferior and in essence uh, evil. So both the uh, people who ascribe to the philosophy of Plato and the Gnostics they both believed that um, the earth was defective and thus it was really not something to be enjoyed or um, it was rather to be cast off and shunned. And it was certainly not to be considered to be man's permanent home uh, at any moment. Present, future. Spiritual maturity for the Gnostics and for those who ascribe to Plato's philosophy basically uh, believed that maturity in a spiritual context only occurred by escaping the world, the material earth, through asceticism, which is a $25 word for basically um, self-deprivation of possessions of the earth, uh, self-isolation, self-imposition of hardships, practices to be uh, believed to be elevate. If we did all of those practices of asceticism, by depriving ourselves of the uh, goodness of the earth, uh, we would elevate ourselves uh, to a higher level of godliness. Now, I told you in earlier shows that uh, my earlier um, Christian experience was Catholicism, and I remember the monks who basically were cloistered and the same um, uh, groups of nuns that would do the same thing. They would cloister themselves and practice this asceticism, believing that the denial um, to themselves of the earthly um, enjoyments was going to be a means by which they could get closer to God and become holy. Um, As far as the human body was concerned, um, Plato looked at it as a defective prison for the soul. And freedom from this human body prison didn't occur uh, until one's physical death, which finally allowed the individual soul to uh, throw off 
the corrupt body of the physical world, of the fallen physical world, and then to ascend, to go up into the ethereal perfection of the spiritual world. Get up to the sweet by and by, whatever it takes. Uh, forget the world and um, just whatever you do, get up into the ethos. Uh, Gnosticism had some early impacts on the church, um, which can be seen with, I said earlier, the Paul the Apostle. Actually, the place where he addresses it in, is in the epistle of the Colossians, chapter 2, um, verses 20 through 23. And again, we'll see it in the first epistle of John, when he addresses the Gnostic challenge that Jesus, as God, was not raised in the flesh. In, in fact, many Gnostics believe that he wasn't even crucified. Um Gnosticism influenced early Christian, and I'm, when I say that, I'm talking about Gentile theology through the practices of asceticism and the belief of philosophies of Plato. And um, this couldn't be seen And one of the original fathers of Christian theology. His name was Origen of Alexandria. Now, let's take a look at what, how the Hebrew mind viewed the earthly creation. Um, If you go to Genesis chapter 1 and look at God's creation at the level where it's the sixth day, and he's now at verse 26 of chapter, Genesis chapter 1, he says, "Let, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, stop right there. I think we need to analyze that. Um, if we, according to the Hebrew Bible, are made in God's image according to his likeness, that differs radically than the view of Plato and the Gnostics, which unfortunately influenced a lot of the early Christian thinking of our Christian fathers uh, commenting on the scripture. Um, Not only were we in God's image and his likeness, we were to have dominion over all of the animals. I'm not going to list them all, but I mean, there's a long list there in verse 26. And, And then it says in verse 27, Genesis 1, 27, it says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then in verse 28, he gives us uh, our assignment. We're to to be fruitful, and we were to multiply. We were to fill the earth. We were to subdue it, have dominion over, and again, lists all the animals um, that moved on the earth. And and in the end, if you skip down down to Genesis 131, 131, he has an opinion about what he thought about the earth and man on the earth and having dominion over the earth, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God's opinion is very radically different than the Gnostics. Um, God's opinion about the earth is radically different than what Plato was um, distributing and teaching as his philosophy. And 
That's a radical, radical change. The problem is a lot of Platonism, which is the philosophy of Plato, and a lot of Gnosticism creeped in to the belief system of the early Christian church, the early centuries leading up to the Council of Nicaea in 325, when we basically decided uh, we are disconnecting from our Hebrew uh, roots. We don't want anything as far as uh, connectivity with uh, the Hebrew heritage, the observances of the Hebrew uh, feasts, um, the, the feasts of the Lord. Um, it goes down the list. And we were about detaching ourselves of anything that was foundational in the first two-thirds of the Bible, which is known as uh, the Torah, uh, the writings, um, the prophets, etc. Um, so let's see here. Let's take a look now to contrast how the Hebrew mind saw the earth, which in Plato and the Gnostics' opinion was uh, basically inferior and defective. So the Hebrew mind saw God the Father's earthly creation as something good for mankind. In fact, going back to Genesis 131, Father God said it's not just good, it's very good for mankind. And despite the understanding, yes, the earth had fallen, as we know in uh, Genesis chapter 3, because of a rebellious continuation um, that came from fallen angels, and they inserted themselves into the material world, unfortunately, because we humans, through Eve and through Adam, um, listening to suggestions by this fallen angelic uh, rebel, if you will, uh, handed over our authority to have dominion over the creation. We gave that legal authority that God gave to humankind, to mankind, and we handed that voluntarily over to Satan. So not only does Satan have some, some residual power after the fall that he had, what we see in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, but now mankind has made things worse by voluntarily handing over the authority to have dominion over this earth that God called very good. And, of course, we are now living with the consequences of that because we do live in a sin-cursed earth. But we'll see how the coming of this Jewish Messiah is going to remove the curse from the sin-cursed earth. So the the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, is clearly a worldly book, uh, according to um, this author, and his name is uh, Brian Wilson. And the Hebrews understood that man's ultimate goal was not to escape the material world by shirking uh, man's God-given responsibility to do a couple of things. And this is, again, this is seen in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Man's responsibility was to establish God's order and his government on earth. He gave us dominion to carry those functions out. And unfortunately, um, with the Greek thinking of both Plato and Gnosticism, um, they focus on how can we get away from this earth, basically writing it off, the earth and its nations. And um, 
and basically get out of here and get into the perfect world of the ethereal where that's where perfection takes place. And so rather than allowing man to carry out his responsibilities to establish God's civilization on earth, the Greeks and the Gnostics wanted to get away from it. But the Jews understood that their job was to redeem the fallen world, uh, and that requires a sovereign intervention on behalf of the Creator to bring redemption in the form of liberation from the hands of this spiritual enemy that invaded the earth in Genesis chapter 3. And so um, we have interaction with God between the Jews and themselves. It brought deliverance, as we can see uh, in the prayer of Zacharias in Luke chapter 1, 67 through 79. It's a long prophetical utterance from Zacharias regarding um, what John the Baptist was going to be doing and what the Messiah uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and in Jewish it's Yeshua HaMashiach, uh, was, were, were going to be doing. And what was cru- crucial was interaction with God brought deliverance from one's enemies. And that's actually the same message that uh, Jesus delivered in Luke chapter 4 when he stood up. You know, he's age 30 now, and he's, he's been trained, and he's ready to begin his uh, ministry. And he stands up in the synagogue, and he um, he reads from Isaiah 61 and basically um, talks about why the Messiah showed up, and it was to bring liberation from this captivity, the spiritual captivity of this invading um, angelic horde. The earth was made for man, not for fallen, rebellious angels and Quite frankly, um, I think the fallen rebellious angels were not happy and disagreed vehemently with God, Father God's decision to put man in charge of the material earth. So interaction with God was to bring deliverance from from our enemies and to basically restore our relationship with Father God. Why is that so important? Well, that's what happened with the fall in Genesis 3. Um, when Adam and Eve handed their authority to rule and reign, uh, to have dominion over the earth, uh, what also happened was their relationship with Father God became ruptured, and they became detached, and they were separated from God. And what's interesting, if you take a little deviation here, if you go over to uh, John seventeen three, what is the definition of eternal life? Well, it's the opposite of detachment from God. It's the opposite of separation from God. It's actually union with God and knowledge, personal knowledge, relational knowledge. And listen to these words in John seventeen three, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Well, that's not a future event. That's a relational moment that can be had right here and right now, two seconds at a time. And, and so the, the Jews, unlike the Greeks, had concepts of redemption, which means to buy back something that was lost. Well, what did we lose? We didn't lose heaven in the fall. We lost our relationship with our Father, and we lost our purpose, which was to reveal the likeness of God, we were to image that out 
by dominating, subduing, stewarding the earth. And all that, unfortunately, changed through the deception of Genesis chapter 3. So the Hebrews, though, never gave up with this idea that God uh, finishes what he starts. He's a circular God. And what I mean by circular, they in, in Hebrew thinking, there's right now in the high holidays uh, with the new year, which was uh, Rosh Hashanah, part of the uh, days of awe, which are the 10 days between the new year, the Jewish new year, um, and the day of Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, which is basically day of, of um, repentance. There are 10 days that are called the days of awe. And uh, those, during those days, the concepts are how do we get back to what we lost? You can't get back something that you didn't have before. Adam and Eve have a relationship with God that we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. I mean, he, he walked with him, and, and it, Father God was walking on the earth. Can you imagine? He was walking on the earth in the cool of the day, it says. And, um, and in Genesis 2, Father God's excited because he's making and creating all these animals, and he's bringing them over to Adam, and he's saying, what do you want to call this one? What do you want to call this other one? And it wasn't saying, this is what you will do. It's a co-mission, like they're working together father and son together. So um, the Hebrew concepts of reconciliation back to what we lost, which is our, we lost our relationship with uh, Father God in the garden, um, deliverance, liberty, and salvation always involve being rescued from our enemies. You can see, compare Luke chapter 1 and the the uh, prophecy of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, to what Jesus announced when he began his ministry in Luke chapter 4. And they're going to sound pretty similar because deliverance is what is used in, in the Jewish Bibles many times more than the word salvation. Salvation for us oftentimes means transportation from point A to point B. For the Hebrews, they're saying, Mm-mm, no, what we need is the enemy took over um, as we gave him our authority through Adam and Eve, handing their God-given authority of dominion over to him. He's basically ruling the earth with chaos and misery. And in order to put an end to that, we need deliverance from an invading angelic spiritual rebellion, which interestingly enough did not begin on earth. It began earlier in heaven. Again, take a look at Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, and you'll see that. So it was a, it was a spiritual issue. It was a spiritual rebellion that came down and invaded a human world, which was for the first two chapters of Genesis, perfection, beauty, love, and life, life being a relationship, knowing God. Now, okay, so Jews look at being delivered as coming back to what you lost. It's a circle. It's very different than the Plato Greek 
Gnostic view that salvation or deliverance is leaving earth, which is in in reality mankind's inheritance, leaving this earth and writing off the nations, writing off the earth, saying, well, it's cursed, goodbye, and we're just going to go up to, you know, I don't know, the clouds. And I was taught... I was taught as a young child in Catholic school, you play a harp up on a cloud or something. I never could figure out how that made any sense because harps were very large and heavy, and I'm thinking that probably would go right through the clouds. But it didn't sound all that um, exciting. In fact, it was I couldn't connect with it. But the Hebrew concept is, no, earth is our inheritance. Now, we can see that in lots of New Testament scriptures written by Paul. You look at uh, Romans 8.15, and it talks about, hey, we're, if we are children of God, well, that means we are heirs, which means Father is writing a testamentary uh, covenant to give us things as his children. Well, if we're heirs, that means we're co-heirs with Messiah Jesus. And what was Messiah Jesus going to inherit? Well, take a look at Second uh, Psalms. It talks about um, um, what... There's a conversation between father and son, and it basically says, I'm going to give you earth. Look at Psalms chapter 8, same thing. The earth is man's inheritance, and so we're supposed to be coming back home to, the Jews say, teshuva. Teshuva is repent, which means to change the way we're thinking and to change the direction in which we're heading. It's a circular return process. Teshuva means return. We will see you on the other side of the break and do some more comparison of Greek thinking versus Hebrew thinking. See you on the other side of the break. Welcome back. We have been contrasting Greek thinking from the Greek philosopher Plato and the Gnostics in contrast with Hebrew thinking, um, what happens to be the goals of God and uh, images of what is the earth. And we just finished the last uh, section by saying earth is our inheritance. It's something that Father God wants to give us. Um, it, it's just fulfilling the original design that it was mankind who was supposed to have dominion uh, over the earth and to, as we have the likeness of God placed into us, we are to image that likeness and to bring fruitfulness and to bring um, order to chaos, to bring his kingdom Kingdom is not necessarily a place. It's words that re- reflect the meaning of the domain of the king. In other words, it's the government of the king. And government's referred to a lot. If you look at uh, Isaiah uh, 9, it talks about the Messiah coming. And it talks about he's going to have the government on his shoulder. Um, we're going to basically displace the invading horde of angels that do not have any 
place or position in this earth. The earth was given to us to steward and to nurture and to take care of. And the reason this is really important is that, again, both as a Catholic kid for 16 years and, I don't know, 47 years as a Protestant, um, I think there's an overemphasis that heaven is the goal of the Christian journey. And I'm not anti-heaven. I love heaven. When I die, I want to go to heaven. But the point is, um, the question is, do we stay there? In other words, the Catholics basically say, that's it, you stay there forever. But that's not what the Bible teaches. A lot of the Protestant denominations believe that as well. The Bible says, no, uh, it's a way station, and we're coming back to basically claim our inheritance as Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, reestablishes his kingdom and delivers it over to the Father. Amazing stuff that we see in the book of Revelation, um, and it's fulfilling the, the uh, prophecies of all of the Jewish prophets. So I want to talk about circles and cycles. Um, if you look around in creation, it's just about everywhere. Even in the human body, let's just start with that. If the doctor is listening to your heartbeat, He's listening to a a strong beat and then a weak beat, W-E-A-K. And then that pattern is repeated over and over, a strong beat beat, and then a weak beat of the heart. And that's basically when your blood pressure is being measured, that's the um, uh, systolic and diastolic numbers that come up uh, when the nurse or the doctor is looking at what your blood pressure is like. But um, these cycles are everywhere. Cycles are circular, and um, we have to keep in mind, in Genesis one twenty six, God's making an announcement that, that we are made in his image according to God's likeness, okay? So let's start seeing different things about where cycles are in the human body. Well, for example, um, the neuroscientist, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, explains that Our human nervous systems are comprised of something called electrochemical feedback loops. There's a fancy $25 word that says it's called cybernetics. And it's reflective of our human physiology. In other words, the function of everything within the human body. And it's through alternating, here we go, rhythmic patterns of these electrochemical feedback loops which are called cybernetics. It, she goes on to explain that our human nervous systems are comprised of these always in motion, because again, this is not anatomy, it's physiology of how things function within the human body. These always in motion electrochemical systems and their, here we go, circular feedback loops, okay? Um, everywhere you look, the there are, we talked about the, cycles of of the ocean with the tides and um we you know even the i don't know if you you know i've learned something new by writing this book um during the hoover herbert hoover administration after the great crash of 1929 and the depression beginning of the depression in the 1930s 
uh, he had um, someone on his staff by the name of Edward S. Dewey. And President Hoover said, I want to know why we keep seeing these booms and busts in economics. And um, Edward Dewey came out and said, you know what? These economic cycles actually uh, govern the affairs of mankind from the rise and falls of the empires to the booms and the busts of economies, of currencies, and commodities. It's all cyclical. Um, when we look at Earth science, observ- observable cycles are everywhere. We can see these. Um, I no- noted in the book that, you know, chicken, we always say chickens come home to roost, but here in California, we know the swallows every year come back to the California mission built by Father Sarah in San Juan Capistrano on the exact same day. And they travel from the, the country of Argentina. Um, again, right here in San Diego, we can observe the uh, gray whales who migrate um, between Baja California and Alaska. And again, a cyclical circle. Every Twice a year we see these uh, migrations. Um, just look at the precipitation from the ocean. It evaporates back into the atmosphere from whence it earlier fell as rain. And, and notice even electricity. If you notice that um, the electrical wiring in your home, um, you always have to have a ground outside in the dirt near your home because electricity will always come back to its ground source. It's circular. And then on a philosophical level, on just in our every, everyday lives, we, we are familiar with these adages, you know, what goes around comes around. And those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Uh, in Christian doctrine, uh, the Holy Spirit in terms of um, reaping what we sow, as we see uh, in the letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He will also reap. So, Again, ask yourself, is this cyclical? Is it a circle? Jesus even taught us, hey, as we judge, we will also be judged by the same measure. And he taught us that we are to treat others as we wish to be treated, the golden rule. So looking to the Bible account, is the Bible account a straight line as Greeks think? that we talked about in earlier shows, or is it more cyclical and circular in pattern? And what's interesting is I state in this book that God is a a God of Aliyah. Aliyah is a Jewish uh, Hebrew term saying it's a return, come back. It's when a Jewish person makes Aliyah, they're returning to the land of Israel, going back to become a citizen of the land of Israel from whence they came. And um, this is somewhat of a pattern when you read the Jewish Testament, you'll see these cycles of, of God dealing with the prototype Hebrew people, that was, which is supposed to be an example of how um, God will be dealing with us as, as members of the nations, as Gentiles. But we see this repetitious cycle where Jewish people are blessed, and then unfortunately with the blessing they get careless with their relationship from God, and then there's a falling away, um, and um, there's 
God sends warnings through his prophets regarding the the falling away, and he says, come back and don't continue on with these um, worshiping you know, false gods and mixing with the local pagans, etc., because um, these are harmful. These rules are for your, for your benefit. These rules are because I love you and I don't want you to you know, go into great harm that may be permanent. And so we see the, all the stories that we learn in the, in the Jewish Testament about um, after the falling away, oftentimes um, there is judgment. Um, and that judgment is designed to uh, be a wake-up call. And if there is repentance and the um, Jewish people come back, and like, for example, uh, what happened after the Babylonian captivity, um, they were brought back. They were brought back to rebuild the wall, to, to rebuild the temple. And we can see that pattern over and over again in the Jewish uh, account. Um, what's interesting is we can also see that with the return of Yeshua, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, uh, the New Testament even talks about that return um, back to his father from the earth was a circular experience. Um, and our Father God continues, for, uh, continues to yearn and long for our personal return back to him and back to our earthly home designated for us. Um, I believe in heaven, and yes, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not going to stay there. That's not what uh, Scripture says. We have a lot of things to do to assist in a co-mission when Jesus returns, and there are all kinds of roles for we who are born again, both Jew and Gentile, and... um, and we have, you can start looking down the list, we're to be judges of men and angels. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians uh, 6. Um, we are to be the bride of Christ. You see that um, uh, coming, to, coming to fruition in Revelation chapter 19. Um, in Revelation chapter 5, uh, we are to be kings and priests. Well, there's, those are two different roles. And um, it's, I think it's in 5.9. Revelations 5, 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain. Um, talking to Yeshua, talking to Jesus here. And you have redeemed us. In other words, bought us back. Bought, B-O-U-G-H-T, with his blood. But you have bought us back to God. It did, notice it didn't say to heaven. It says you brought us back to God. That's what we lost by your blood. And out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Look at verse 10, Revelation 5.10. And you've made us kings and priests, and we shall reign. It doesn't say in heaven. It says we're coming back. It says we shall reign on the earth. So you see that in Revelation um, verse uh, chapter 20. I'm not going to go into all that, but basically we're coming back to our inheritance. And so this is a very different concept than what the Gnostics were teaching, um, how the Greek philosophers looked at the earth being a lost cause. And it's kind of interesting to note, even in Luke chapter 4, in the second temptation of Christ, when um, Satan takes Jesus up to the top of the mountain, uh, here we hear these two centers and leaders of these two power, power centers, the, the kingdom of God 
Jesus being the son of God and also son of man versus the angelic leader of the rebellion. And notice in the second temptation, he does, Satan does not show Jesus heaven as the temptation. He says, he shows Jesus what? He shows him the earth because he knows that's the, mankind's inheritance. And, and Satan has stolen it through deception and through fraud. And God, his Father God, is sending his son to basically say we're going to do away with the works of the devil. That's 1 John 3, 8. That's why Jesus came back. And notice um, when Satan claims to have authority, and he says, if you bow down and, and worship me, I'll give you the nations and the earth. And... Um, I have a question for people. I say, was he telling a partial truth? Was he telling a lie when he spoke that to Jesus? And you have to stop and think about that for a minute because a lot of people just say, oh, he was telling a lie. But was he? Don't forget that we humans, through stealth and fraud and being victimized by a lie, we, through our original parents, handed over our authority to rule and reign to have dominion and subdue and nurture the earth, we handed it over to a fallen angel. So when he told that, when he made that claim to Jesus, we have to stop and say, wait a minute. He could be partially correct that he didn't get any authority from Father God. He's never going to give a fallen angel, especially Satan, any authority. But what if Satan tricked mankind who did receive legal permission, legal authority, and through that stealth, we handed that authority over to Satan. Well, we've been paying the price ever since. So the question becomes, we are on this journey, and is the goal of this Christian, Judeo-Christian journey is it linear or is it circular? And that's why we're spending time on this, because if we think the goal is linear, we just need to get out of Dodge. Um, there's, <laughs> there are two different messages here. Are we preaching a gospel of the great escape, about the soon escaping church? Or are we preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is the soon coming kingdom of God? They are two totally different messages. One is linear, inspired by um, Greek thinking with the Greek philosophers of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, that the earth is evil, let's just get out of here, and we'll be perfected in the great by and by, versus the Jewish thinking to say, no, we were given earth, and God is going to circularly in a cyclical way, come back to us and say, return to me. There are so many verses there that say um, Jesus came to bring us back to the Father. The first one, um, as opposed to saying Jesus came to bring us to heaven. In fact, I don't. I have never found a verse that actually says that, the purpose or the reason Jesus came, so that when we die, we get to go to heaven. Again, I'm not anti-heaven, but there's no verse that says that's the purpose or the reason he came. Um, look at this in Second Corinthians five eight. Um, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself. That's a capital H through Jesus Christ, 
and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You see how it's circular. The Jews understand this. Come back to the Father. The Messianic Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah understand this. Look at uh, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's pretty clear. To put to death in the flesh, he being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the spirit. But he came to bring us to God, back to Father God. And when Jesus says in John 14, 6, that's probably the, one of the clearest ones, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He didn't say no one gets to heaven but by me. He said instead, no one gets to the Father but through me. So you see, it's a return. It's a teshuva. It is a, it is a Middle Eastern Hebrew circular concept that God is a God of finishing what he began. He made no mistakes. This original blueprint of man running the earth under the headship of God is going to be carried out, and we can see that in the book of Revelation. Um, Unfortunately, our Greek Western linear thinking, straight-line thinking, is actually leading us away from the real goals of the God's Hebrew circular blueprint plan. Um, our linear thinking takes us on a journey of escapist um, thinking and is taking us on a trajectory into the spiritual atmosphere by really overemphasizing heaven as our permanent home and requiring that we permanently leave the earth and nations behind as lost causes. So... Um, this happened over a long period of time. This infiltration after the diaspora, after the second temple was destroyed and the Jews um, were basically um, spread out into the nations. Well, they came into a Greek world and already had a Greek thinking and Greek philosophy. And basically the, the circular cyclical Jewish gospel got watered down into something that was platonic um, and linear. And intellectually, we have to admit, we are Greeks, not Hebrews, if we grew up in Western civilization. But um, that is not the Middle Eastern way of, of thinking. And Father God selected a Middle Eastern group of people called the Hebrews to be a prototype of, through the covenants, what a relationship with Father God was supposed to look like. So, um, we shall take a look over here, and I wanted to give you a practical example of what is the solution to the problem of spiritual rebellion when you start talking about circles and cycles versus straight lines. And we have to get down to brass tacks here. The, the, listen, before you have a solution, you have to define the problem. The problem is not where we go. The problem is that rebellion, a spiritual rebellion, came down from the second heavens and penetrated our physical earth and ruined everything. And, and so if you want to define the problem, the problem is called, in one word, maybe two words, spiritual rebellion. 
which penetrated a ideal, perfect earth that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, where man had relationship with Father God. Well, so the purpose of the coming of the Messiah, just let me just read a few verses to you. There isn't a single one here that says um, heaven is... Is where, we're, is where we're supposed to be focused as the goal. What is the goal of Jesus' coming? Well, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. This is 1 John 3, 8. Are you ready for this? It's not say, it does not say so. He can take us to heaven. It says, he was of the devil. Uh, he who sins, rather, is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now notice the words, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That's pretty clear. It says, hey, this is the purpose that Jesus was sent. It wasn't so to bring us to another place and walk away from our earthly inheritance and, and our tasks that we were supposed to carry out in this earthly inheritance. For I'll read it again. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are those works? Well, it's the rebellion that's within us. And this journey of after we become born again, there's something called sanctification. God's got to clean up the house where he's going to eventually live. He's going to live in us. Read John uh, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17. Those four chapters talk about God indwelling us and we indwelling God. Kind of a mind-blowing um step up because Adam and Eve didn't talk about God indwelling them. But this is much more intimate, much more deep, much more profound. Um, so let's take a look at Hebrews 2.14. Inasmuch uh, then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death, this is talking about Jesus, he might destroy him small h that's satan who had the power of death that is that is the devil and that's pretty clear also in hebrews 2 14 look at uh first Peter 3 8 for christ also suffered once for sin the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god doesn't say so he might bring us to heaven we have been detached from our Father God with a ruptured relationship. He came to, Jesus is the bridge of blood, bringing us back to our Father God so that we as Father God's children can come back into the original promises of Father God in we, that we see in Genesis 1 and 2 and that we see through all of the covenants through the Hebrew people. Those covenants were made ultimately for we Gentiles as basically beneficiaries. So, a couple more verses here. For he himself who bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that he having died to sin, so that we might live for righteousness. See that? It's dealing with the rebellion. We have to deal with the rebellion, and Jesus is saying he's going to bring an end to the works of the devil. Uh, So, he came to earth, to end the rebellion against Father God. The goal of the Hebrew and Judeo-Christian salvation is to end the rebellion against the F- God the Father 
and victory comes by doing Father God's will in all matters. We'll have to wrap it up here. I will see you next week on Simple Truth Moments. And in the meantime, may you be richly blessed. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal His Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.